Yeah, that's how this starts. Just a deep sigh. <laughs> <sighs> so, have you guys seen Bly Manor? <laughs> Bly, huh? <laughs> no, I've seen You've it. gathered here today <laughs> to respond to a crisis in our community. Mm. And that crisis is Bly Manor, is the haunting of Bly Manor. And it's haunting me. <laughs> and I. And me. You know. Yep. <laughs> it's haunting us all. Well, actually, first, should we, like, introduce ourselves? I don't know. Yeah. I didn't really plan how to do this. Yeah, that, yeah, that could be good. <laughs> I think an introduction is good. I think I just keep laughing because I know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> like do all that just try to have a good positive energy out you know out the gate yeah yeah i guess we, <laughs> we're gonna have some laughs we're gonna have some tears yeah it's very telling to what we're gonna talk about that we're all just kind of going hmm mm. so <laughs> oh there he was first your dog's name his name's b after b arthur oh love that yeah, it really confuses people, which yeah. I think is stupid because they go, what? I just think he's, oh, I just always think he's a girl because of his name, and it makes me so mad. Like, who the fuck cares? Yeah, yeah. my sister's, uh, my, sorry, Anna's sister's dog. Aww. I'm really close with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but her dog, uh, his name is Sue, and he's a boy. Oh, I love that. He's a boy named Sue, and he's Sue the dog. And also, Anna's mom's name is Sue, so it's actually kind of, kind of strange. <laughs> like Sue Junior. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> my cat's name is Opus. Opus, like Mister of Mister Holland. <laughs> Indeed, he came really? with that name though. I didn't give him that name, but I was like, that's a pretty baller name. So, <laughs> yeah, I like he that a lot. A good one. So now that we've all introduced our pets or partner's pets. I guess we could introduce ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> eh, okay. <laughs> you don't have to. Let's do it. Okay. I'm I'm Kate Royal. Hi Kate. Hi. Hello. Yeah, I'm, I I typically co-host Broadcast Revisited, a podcast about miniseries with with Carl, but Carl Del Bono, but he's not here right now. I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even give Peyton the option. <laughs> no, no. I, I was like, Carl, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Hope that's cool. That's exactly what I, I texted Peyton and I was like, this is happening. But <laughs> I didn't have any intention of asking. No offense, no offense, Peyton. No, no, I, no. I guess, I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Deb, and I usually co-host Queer Movie Night with Peyton, who is wonderful. Yeah, we love them all. He's great. Yes. Um, Yeah, and my name's Corey Anderson, and I'm just a guest. I don't co-host any podcast, but I'm excited to be here with both of you today. It feels like you you do though. And it does. Me, it does. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I I I used to have a a podcast with my friend Derek, and we just talked about um, TV. It was called. OTVD, obsessive television disorder. 
That's good. <laughs> the name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was it was many years ago, and we both lived in LA, and we were just talking about television, and it it, it was very fun. So this feels similar. Uh, my favorite thing in the whole wide world. It's the best movies mm-hmm. and gay stuff. I'm, I'm well, drinking a glass of wine and I'm a little bit self-conscious because I'm using my mic and I can hear when I swallow. Could oh, I don't care. I'm going to be drinking wine into this mic. I'm going to be sobbing into this mic at a certain point. Yeah. I've got half a bottle. Well, it's a third of a bottle now, but it's what right here it? next to me. So, What is that? What's the type of wine? It's a Sauvignon Blanc. Ah. La Galope. Cute. It's a really nice one. I'm usually a red wine drinker, but I needed to cook with this the other night, so I didn't uh, use most of the bottle. So that's when I buy wine is if it's in a recipe for the week. It's usually oh, when I go. buy wine. What yeah. do you usually drink if you drink? Me? Either of you. If you don't drink wine that often. Oh, I do God. drink wine. I drink wine, I drink cider, or I'll do a mixed drink I like you make yeah. a lot of dark and stormies here or any Ooh. kind of whiskey. Yeah. All right. Very nice. I do drink a lot of wine. I just don't drink a lot of white wine these days. Mm. Now I'm getting older. I can't take the acid of a white wine anymore. The white wine makes my GERD flare up (laughs) real bad. (laughs) I have GERD. Just get a headache every time. GERD here first, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Breaking news. (laughs) Whoa. I was going to say that I think of... uh, Chrishell from Selling Sunset when I think of Sauvignon Blanc. I don't know if either of you watched the show. Yes, love the show. Wine. <laughs> love the show. I love that we show. We finished it actually a couple yeah. days ago. I never, I only watched the third season because everyone was talking about it and I was like, I don't really feel a need to go, I don't, this doesn't seem like an episodic thing where I need to like know a ton of the backstories. But yeah, I also kind of like just jumping in and being like, mm-hmm. This person hates this person. This person hates this person. Got it. Yeah. It's an easy watch. It is. Yeah. But and I mean, what more could you want out of, a re- out of a reality TV show? It's like gorgeous design mm. and horrible people. Horrible people. It's <laughs> Michelle <laughs> and Maya and Mary. Yeah. Christine I is. I love mine. I love Mary. Amazing. Christine is like. I, I don't want to like her because I think she's just mean. Sometimes. Oh, she's terrifying. But, like, you were she's also really stupid. Yeah, but she could sell me anything. She really could. Like, I could, Oh, not me. She's good at her job. No, I hate her. I don't think she's good at her job, and I don't like her. Good no. for you. you Sorry, should. I don't – yeah, I don't like her. Apparently, there's a lot of backlash because Karama was on the show and, like, oh, said yeah. friends with Christine or whatever, and there's a lot of backlash to Karamo being, like, why are you friends with her? Because she's not a good person. No. But also, like, Karamo, Karamo takes his own heat. He mm. said some pretty problematic stuff, too. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they... They're maybe they're like a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Getting heavy, aren't we? <laughs> getting right That's into good. It. A little, little, little Selling Sunset palate cleanser. I wanted to say one more thing about another Netflix show before we get oh, to the... Oh, please. Please do. Because I know, I don't know if you watched it, Corey, but I saw that you tweeted about it, Kate. I finished Emily in Paris in one sitting two nights ago. Me too. And then, like, as if a spell had been cast over me, <laughs> I immediately <laughs> forgot that I had watched it. It's the most forgettable show I've ever watched. But delicious. But the easiest show I've ever watched. Fun. Yeah. 
love the setting. If it wasn't set in Paris, it would have been a hell no for me. Oh but. yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's um, it. it's weirdly like very <laughs> it's very, very steeped in the heterosexual agenda. <laughs> um, Which I love. But also like <laughs> but also it's like <laughs> it's even prudish there. Because like as I said in my in my oh. tweets about it, seemingly every man in Paris wants to fuck this girl. Every single one. And then she so only sleeps with one of them. Or like it takes like five episodes for her to sleep with anybody. And he sucked. Yeah. He sucked with two of them. One of remember the is this a spoiler? Are you gonna watch it, Corey? I won't know. He slept with the one who sucked with the intellectual one, and then she right. slept with a seventeen year old. <laughs> wait, what? Oh. Did you wait? You finished it, right? I did. I definitely I walked out it. of the room for like a while. <laughs> When she goes to stay with um, Camille, who's the best and doesn't deserve any of the bullshit that Emily and what is it? Also, it actually makes Camille? less narrative sense that she didn't have a threesome with Camille. And it makes no sense. What was that initial first scene about when they kissed? And then she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And then Camille's like, I'm not. And then she continues right. to flirt with her for like three episodes. Right. I was like, Oh sweet! This is gonna absolutely lead to a threesome. <laughs> I thought for sure it was leading to a threesome, and I was very disappointed that it didn't. And I thought, like mm-hmm. for Darren Star, which I watched, I've, I have watched Sex and the City, and I love the show Younger, which I think is his best yep. show. Um, I was like, he does crazy stuff sometimes. Crazy for like, I don't know, cable. Yeah. People crazy, but still, I've I've fully expected it to go there, and it didn't, and I was disappointed. And yeah. Emily is a not likable character. She's hot, and that's all she is. That's the only. Yeah, no, she has no personality. But that no was, personality. This was like I was texting with um friend of both of our pods, Hannah Rehack, who Ooh. has her own podcast about Emily in Paris. Oh my gosh, how yeah. things come full circle. <laughs> Here it all is. <laughs> But I was just like, oh my god, like, I actually, like, I'm enjoying watching this. Like, I'm so sorry. I think my brain is broken, but, like, this is extremely pleasurable to me. And, like, (laughs) I don't think the acting is that bad. She's like, wait, you like Lily Collins' performance? And I was like, I think she's giving exactly the performance that this role (laughs) requires. (laughs) No more, no less. She showed up and she did her job and she got her paycheck. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> I, I agree. It was enjoyable, and I love, I love France. I liked. Well, also, I mean, this isn't shocking because I feel like it, all lesbians have this in common. But I was like, the person I liked most was Sylvie, the boss, the mean French boss. Oh, she w- she could destroy me. Yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> I was like, I wanted her and Emily to hook up. Oh, I know. Yeah. Same, but it's never going to happen. Oh, but when she, when they had that moment, I don't know if you remember this, because you seem to not <laughs> remember the show. You truly have amnesia about the show. <laughs> when they're in the elevator and they have that moment, and then Sylvie, like, brushes Emily's hair out of her face. It's this really intense moment. Wow. Um, I'm grabbing. Sounds I'm grabbing great. Draws. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is a, a queer life. Somebody yes. touched another one's finger, and I'm like, oh. I know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Furtive glances. Yeah. A little gesture. The touch of hair, though, always gets me. I don't know if either of you saw it's this. It's so movie. intimate. 
But the it's really the, intimate. The the new Mulan, the like villain, does that to Mulan at one point while they're fighting. They're like doing this big scene, this big fight scene with swords, and then they stop for a second, and the villain goes like this and brushes hair mm. out of Mulan's face. It's the sexiest thing <laughs> ever seen. And I talked about it to somebody else. I was like, did anyone else see the sexual chemistry between them? They were like, no. <laughs> oh wow. Like you don't get it. You don't get it. You're not looking for that, but I am. Okay. I'm always on the prowl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that, I mean, like to kind of bring us to the main event, (laughs) I feel like part of the magic of this show is that like no one had any idea that it was going to be gay. Mm -hmm. And like in the first couple episodes, I mean, for seasoned viewers like us, the second Jamie enters, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. homosexual. The way she saunters in. I was uh, saunters in and her, like, overalls from the garden doesn't say anything to anyone. Like, enter heartbreaker lesbian. Mm-hmm. And then you're, like, watching it and you're like, oh, shit. This is gay. I read the signs correctly. Mm-hmm. And very rarely do those signs materialize into an actual good. relationship? Yeah. Those are signs. I mean, you, we, I feel like not to generalize, but to generalize, we all see signs and everything. Like we just saw, we're always looking for it. Right. So even if there's a small moment between um, two characters that where it'll never be canon between them, like we still see it. Yeah. It was it was the first scene when when Jamie first came in and then there's the voiceover and she says that Danny felt like she's known her her whole life and I was like <gasps> I literally was watching it in the other room because Kayla doesn't like scary stuff and Hill House was a little too scary for her which she ended up watching the last half of Blind Manor with me because I was like it the scary stuff tapers off you should watch yeah, it it's not as scary at all no she ended up watching it and loving it but I was in our bedroom and I paused it and screamed it's gay it's- as i had no idea because i love this show so much not my ass was gonna watch it fucking regardless yeah oh same yeah hill house to me was is one of my favorite seasons of television at all i'm a huge agree. yeah and so i was just really excited i love victoria padretti i love now in in the first season i was like nell is gonna be the main character i was so 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 excited yeah. And I really loved that they didn't publicize it as a romance. They are now as a queer romance. But it, they, they weren't selling it that way from the beginning, which I really think is awesome because all the love for the show is just organic. Totally. That's the perfect word for it. Yep. Yep. Earned, you know? Earned. Oof. These are good words. Um, I actually did not watch Hills. What did not watch... Hill House. Do you think for no particular to- reason? I just sort of like missed the moment, and I'm like, I'm not great with Ooky Spooky, but I was like, family dramas of that ilk like don't immediately interest me. Mm. I'm a huge family family drama person. Loved like yeah. all the old school like network TV shows, like Brothers and Sisters, like these old like oh, family yeah. drama shows. Well, and that I feel like that was what people loved. That was like, and Mike. I think that's a very Mike Flanagan thing, and I think that's true in Bly Manor as well. That like 
the thing that he is really good at that people really like about at least this series is that he oh man sorry there's like a lightning storm happening outside whoa really i just saw crazy lightning out my window it is either that or the moment has come and the aliens are here and you know i can't imagine finer company to Oh my God. To face that moment with it's the rapture, you guys. Yeah, the rapture. <laughs> I've been terrified of the rapture since I was able to understand what the rapture was, which the first time I heard about it, I was a, a toddler. It's, yeah. it's so great. Terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying. yeah. So, so, do I sound different without close. my headphones on? No. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna take them off. Nice. <laughs> Not that I can tell, at least. Okay. Um. <laughs> But no, but I think Mike Flanagan is like his, the sort of like corner of the horror world that he is taking over is like, he's able to make really great emotional, sentimental horror. Like, like, I feel like a lot of people compared Hill House. They're like, it's literally like the show Parenthood plus Ghosts. As like a compliment, you know, that he's he's able to ground it in like real, like warm emotional stuff, and that like was certainly true in Bly Manor. Like, there's ghosts, but I cried like a child at the end. <laughs> oh, um, so yeah, I, I feel like. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, I mean that's think- an understatement. I was full body sobbing. But. Oh right. Um, do you think that? Do you want to watch Hill House now? Are you? I do. Something? Yeah. No, I I do intend to go back, even though like, yeah. I mean, I I from what I've heard, and I'm curious if you two agree with this that like, obviously the gay shit being in Blind Manor like puts it in its own category, but a lot of people are like Hill House is still the better the better series. Ooh. Like overall, well, Hill House does have some gay stuff too. By the way, Kate. That's Siegel right. That's right. I do remember that. I, I don't think um, they do as good of a job of this building a kind of like emotional connection with her and another character. But um, I don't know. I, th- I think they're really, really different. I, I don't mm-hmm. think I could say one is better than the other because I actually went back and watched a bit of Hill House, and it's it's like heartbreaking in. I almost wish you had watched it because I would like to discuss it a bit, but it's like, it's Feel free to. I don't care about spoilers at all. So like, yeah, if y'all need to talk about well, it. I don't want, else. I actually don't want to ruin some stuff for you because okay. it's done so well. Nell's character in particular, which is the same, you know, actress that's in mm-hmm. Bly Manor, her character like affected me so much. And it's, it's kind of that same thing where it's like this really heartbreaking story of someone who doesn't have a choice in what is happening to them and they just they just want to be happy like so badly but these things are haunting them um Mm. and her her story is so heartbreaking and the whole family is has changed over time and it's you just really get it it's a whole different sense it's Hmm. their kids in the house and they're adults in real life whereas this series takes there are flashbacks but this series takes place probably over like a few weeks. Like it honestly doesn't feel like um, by manner doesn't feel like very long has passed uh, in the show. Yeah. I completely agree. I completely agree. 
I love Hill House. I watched it twice when it first came out. Like I watched it, finished it, and then <laughs> restarted it. Um, yeah, me too. And I cried a lot at Hill House too. I cried so much. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And Nell's story in particular, I come a hard agree. Her story and her episode. Her episode. Her episode is one of the best episodes. It's. The re- this is what I've heard. Oh, the reveal at the end. I'll never forget the chills that I got. Oh, it's just, it's just perfect. So, I mean, naturally I was, I was reading, um, Valerie Ann from Auto Straddle. I was reading her, uh, review slash, I guess you could call it maybe an essay. Whoa, I hear the thunder of Bly Manor. And she felt the same way. She loved Hill House. It was like her favorite Ooh. first season of anything ever. Well, and in here too. Really? Kind of like it's going to be a stormy night as we record this. Oh my god! No. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> uh, what was I saying? That she sorry really auto straddle. Like she like. Um. Oh what? Wait, shit! I did have a point. That what, why did I bring that up? It was for a point. Well, she said a lot of very beautiful things. Oh, it's like it's wonderful. You should read it if you haven't read it. It's just a really really beautiful queer take on on Bly Manor. Um. But I just didn't think, oh, she compared it, do you think of American Horror Story when you think anthology series, like horror anthology series? So obviously, like, first off, you're not going to have the best, like, idea of it if you're comparing it to American Horror Story because... Yeah, because it's a horrible show. It's not a good show, and I have watched it, and my favorite season is Murder House, the first season, because it genuinely... The first season's the only good season, yeah. Yes. I agree. So we're covering like, that on my podcast this week. No, really? Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. that's the only season I stand. Yeah, yeah. I do think it's like probably the most successful, but it's also like quintessential. Like, why Ryan Murphy may be the Antichrist? Yeah, I hate, I hate him. Hate him. Hate I hate him, hate him so hate, much. Hate, hate. much. I hate him, um, and he doesn't deserve to make stories that start. No, he doesn't. In them. But I hear what you're saying because I think, I think the haunting series was kind of made to be like an alternative to ahs where it's like same cast like it's the same ensemble every season for the most part but a different story each season Mm -hmm. because there's like many cast members from hill house in this yes the thing that i loved about it was that it felt like a completely different story but the vibe was still there that like this is still the haunting series yeah. with the house with the similar actors it, it, the same score i loved that choice yeah. and the, the editing and the color the coloring is the same yes. the editing he loves these like fades he does that in his other stuff too like i just watched doctor sleep and he he did that one and he loves between scenes that are really different between locations he'll do like a really slow crossfade between them and mm-hmm. it, it actually is really really fun like in that one in at the end of Bly Manor when they're in the diner um they fade from like them in the car to the diner and there's like these lights that kind of start coming through as the fade happens and you're like what are these lights and then we're in the diner and you see what the lights are but it's like a really weird moment yeah. of like I don't know what's going on and he he does that a lot and I I don't know as like a film person I was always like those are bad editing but <laughs> but like it can be done really in a cool way and I think he has those techniques that he likes to use every time mm. I'm a sucker for him. Yeah. I love, I love both seasons equally. That's what I was going to, that was, that's my ending remark for the two seasons being compared is that they felt 
similar in, like I said, in vibe and feeling, but Bly Manor, Hill House was, was just objectively scarier too. Mm-hmm. It was like a lot more of like, it, it leaned into the horror way sure, more. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I love that the second season, it started off that way, but then as it went on, you found out the story was about something completely different. Yeah. And I know what else I love. I feel like it like suckered a lot of straight people into watching it too. Yeah. Because now you're, they're going to watch it. <laughs> I, I watched a fan vid before with that. What's that one song that people always use for fan vids? And it gets me every fucking time. It's the. the <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, to build a home. Oh, to oh, build a home. Fuck. Of course. The best fan vid video or song. Yeah, it for always sure. gets me every time. For um, sure. But one of the like, highest rated comments on the video was like, I don't mean to be disrespectful. But I've never once felt anything about any gay couple on TV until this couple. And I was <laughs> like, that is bad, but like, that's okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I have like, I have a, a coworker, a couple coworkers like who are straight, who like I've been chatting with as they have finished the series and they're like, I been sobbing like one of them i was chatting with her and i was like i did make a playlist and she was like i have some songs for you to add to it (laughs) which i listened to at work by the way and i loved it i really regressed into like a full-on 15 year old tumblr girl (laughs) over the (laughs) and honestly it was very healing i bet it was like i'm going i'm going deep on this Oh yeah. Um, something about how it was like a secret gay story and no one knew at first, or or something about like straight characters playing these these um, straight actors playing these characters um, that I wanted to mention was. So I feel like when you have straight actors playing characters, and maybe they're maybe they're not both straight and they don't know yet or whatever, but I think they both identify that way right now at least. Is like a lot of times they'll say oh, I didn't think of it as a queer love story. I just was playing it like a relationship. Okay, which I really hate. But one thing I appreciated was Amelia Amelia Eve said that. And I was like, oh, she plays, Mm -hmm. you know, she plays Jamie. But then she said, but then when people reached out to me and told me or when I've heard how much it has meant to someone, I start to, I realize that it's not the same and that this is something important. And mm-hmm. I think like, I think in the moment she probably was just playing it. She's an actor and she's like, I can play anything, <laughs> whatever. But I do like the fact that at the end she added this little thing of like, I think I do kind of understand why this relationship is important and maybe I didn't understand at first. So I was happy to hear yeah. her say that at least in the end. <laughs> Good. Mm-hmm. Well, and another interview that I really liked was um, with Tania Miller, who plays Hannah, who is a lesbian. I was going to say gay in real life. Yes. I, I love, love her. her so much. Yeah. Same. She's also like the best part of Blind Manor. Like she's other than the gay she's stuff. The heart. She's the heart. She's the heart of it. of it. She's the best performer on it, I think. Like yeah. hers. Oh, she's beautiful. Her acting is my favorite part of it. Yes, her acting. Her clothes are her, so Her clothes are amazing. Oh my God, her clothes. Oh. Yeah. But she gave an interview where she was asked about, about the relationship too. And she gives, like, obviously a, a very nuanced answer, like, as a gay woman of, like, what she's 
what she hopes people will take from it. And I also think that like, I haven't seen an answer like that from Victoria Pedretti. I feel like she is just like always very excited to talk about them because I think, and her and Amelia Eve, I think they're both like very like giddily proud of the work they did. Mm-hmm. In yeah, a way that I find like very endearing. Young, I think, or at least Victoria hasn't done that many projects. So I, so I still think she's like, just excited about acting in general. And yeah. Talking about acting which is cool, but I think, yeah, there is something to be said about, you know, playing queer character. For sure. I saw a tweet, which it makes me feel weird when people are talking about people in their personal life, but if I'm like, you're a celebrity, you already signed up for that. But um, Mm -hmm. there was a tweet that apparently she was, Victoria was seen on gay Tinder. And I don't know what that means, but it was a big tweet. And everyone was like, yeah. (laughs) The glasses are off with Kate. What are the glasses <laughs> off for? <laughs> and they're coming back on? Yeah. Nope. They're yeah. all the way on. <laughs> crushing the glasses in your hand? You're burning your glasses? <laughs> you need those. That is valuable information. But also, like, not surprising. But I, because I also, like, don't believe anyone below the age of 30 is, like, believes in heterosexuality anymore. It seems yeah, like I think she's, like, 25. I think she's, she's 25. Like, she's, like, she's what? Young. Who? Who's straight? Yeah. Yeah. Who's anything? Also, I read an interview uh, that she believed that Nell was queer, too. For yeah. sure. I thought Nell She had strikes me. I think she's one of these look. I fall in love with people types. Yes. Oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> That's 100% right. You know who else? You know who I who else I 1000% believe is that person or is gay? Who? Sarsha. Oh, oh my god, yes. Absolutely. Oh, I would love that. Absolutely. Which not to pivot, but I was really excited about the- what is it? The, I always Am- mess it. Ammonite? Ammonite. The early reviews are making Am- me bummed out. I don't know if it's supposed to be very good, though, right? I've I, heard it's not, but I will see it multiple times. Oh, I will watch it. I'll watch I'll it. Absolutely watch it. Also, yeah. uh, Happiest Season is coming out. Kate, I just saw your tweet, and it's being released on Hulu? Yes. Hulu's getting I it. I think oh. we're probably going to get a trailer in the next, like, two days. I know. It's just been pictures. Yeah, I'm so excited. That is a because st- somebody yeah. replied to Hulu's tweet about it, being like, "When are we getting a trailer?" And they're like, "Before you know it, we." <laughs> yeah, that is so exciting. So, well, we're eating good, ladies. Oh yeah, things are going good, <laughs> baby. <laughs> we're eating good. <laughs> so, have you either of you been uh, tempted to restart Bly Manor, or have you? I have actually. I got. Well, I got like four episodes in, and then I was like, mm, now we're entering the part where there's like whole episodes that neither of them are in. Mm. And I'm not interested in that. Like, yeah, five Peter eight. and Rebecca stuff. Could not, could not care less. I know, same. Hate to say it. You I mean, that's what? kind of the thing for me with this is just like, other than the gay shit, there's not a lot that I loved about it other than Tania Miller's performance and mm-hmm. the kids are really good too 
The kids are great. Yeah, I love the kids. The kids are really good. I hated the grown-up daughter. The grown-up Flora, though. I was like... Oh, my God. Who is that, like, walked out of, like, a shitty (laughs) bridal video? Yeah. Yeah, my silly, gorgeous, <laughs> infuriating <laughs> husband. Silly man, like, I'm He was such a bad actress, and that was so badly written. I was like, this show is so good. Like, why? What's this choice? It's bizarre. It was so yeah. weird. And then but I also Jamie, loved like, that scene. Although, I guess we didn't give this disclaimer ahead of time, but obviously, major spoilers. So don't listen if you're <laughs> Blind yeah. Manor. That's a good um, call, you know, like absolutely stop right now. <laughs> but no, well, we that didn't whole say the big thing. No, but I'm about to. That's why. Oh, okay. <laughs> the big thing. But like when <laughs> she's like giving that whole speech, and Jamie's just sitting there like, <laughs> "Bitch, I lost like, my wife." You know, like, <laughs> when like older Flora is like, "Wow, I literally don't know how my life will." go on after my husband dies. I dread that thought every day. My, my existence will cease to have meaning. I hate it. I dread it every moment of my life. <laughs> Carla Cugino's just sitting there like with tears in her eyes, just like smiling and nodding. Like, hmm. Probably thinking, fuck you. But also, <laughs> like- I'm going to go run the bath and hope my ghost wife appears to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, who did, who did Flora think, or whatever that older Flora's real name is, like, who did Flora too. think Jamie was then? Okay, this is what makes no gardener, sense to me. Does she not remember? What I'm thinking is, did they not remember Danny at all? It seems like they don't. I, I, I yeah. wondered that, too, when I looked it up, and people were like, well, when the scene in the final episode when Owen is at the restaurant with Jamie and Danny, he mentions yeah. that he still sees the kids. So they're like... They know Owen because he regularly sees them and is a part of their life still. But Jamie probably, she probably never saw them ever again. But then, but she has to still be a part of their lives. She was like, why why is she at the wedding? So obviously she's close enough that she's at the rehearsal dinner. Right. Yeah. They must, like, unless she changed, unless none of the names that we know them to be are their real names. Like, if that's. If I, the I implication is that, like, she changed all the names in the story. She changed the name of Bly Manor, and she changed all the names of the people, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Oh. I'm pretty sure because... But, then, but wouldn't you then think that, like, at least some of those details, Flora would be, or whatever her name, you know, yeah. real Flora, older Flora, would be like, yeah. hmm. Also, I love that they did, they were like, hmm, older Miles, nope. I'm going to do any Owen? Sorry. Yeah. But Owen is hot. Older Owen, there's nothing Not there hot. for me. Well, okay. Sorry, folks. If we can just, like, kind of break down the timeline here. Because it's was confusing to me. Suspect. Because, like, okay. how old is Flora supposed to be? Thank and you. why is Jamie so... So, so this is taking place over 20 years. We start in 1987. Yes. They have five years together. No, they have like ten years together. Because when because when they're at Owen's restaurant, Flora is seventeen. So it's been like ten years. Whoa! I thought because of the voiceover, she's like three years past and then four. Right. 
three years passed forever, and then she settled into a piece, and that piece lasted for many more years. Oh, okay, that makes me happier. Yeah, so yeah. they had like eight to ten years together. Oh shit! Oh yeah. Okay. So when cool. they're with Owen in his restaurant, it's like the mid to late nineties. And I will say, in terms of the timeline and all that, I loved seeing the styles changing and their hairstyles changing. Oh my God, they became nineties queens. Danny with now she's straightening her bangs and she's straightening her hair. And she looks yeah. good. She looks yeah. fun. So, so if there, so if in nineteen eighty seven, you got to assume that like Danny and Jamie are like mid 20s mid to late 20s so that and owen and hannah 30s yeah so then in 1997 danny and jamie now they're in their 30s owen is in his 40s still being played by those actors in 2007 we got carla gugina with gray hair (laughs) (laughs) completely gray this bitch is 45 (laughs) Wait, she's supposed to be 45? Or like in her late, Does mid to late 40s. 2007? And the opening scene, it says 2007. Oh, Northern see, I thought, was, like, I thought it was now real time, which is why I was like, how old is Flora? No. It was supposed to be 2007, which I'm like, you shot yourself in the foot. Don't put the year on that. Just let us be like, okay, yeah. it's like far enough in the future that she's Carla. Yeah, why didn't, why didn't we get hair. Owen with like white hair. hair? Real yeah. Owen. Right, he already and, looks like, older. That give actor doesn't look older than the guy who played it. It didn't. No, I, I, that's why I was like, that's. I was not convinced it was Owen. It took me yeah. a second to be like, that's Owen. Well, it didn't. Yeah, he looks like maybe he could be ten years older than current Owen. Yeah, and they had Max. no connection. They had no. Those characters had no love for each other that we saw with the original characters, obviously, because they were no. just different actors who probably never spoke after this. Right. So you're saying also Owen just stood there the whole time while she told that story? Listened. And listened? Right. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, you would have thought Owen would maybe like cut in at some point because she's saying a lot about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his struggles, right? And right. with his mom and. Yeah. I don't know. I don't was the only thing that I was like, mm. What is this? I mean, I think they just wanted to, they wanted to bookend it somehow in a, in a way like that. It's yeah. not, I don't think it's completely realistic to think that she would be telling this whole thing. That's Hannah's perspective, episode five. It's all in Hannah's head. How would, right. how would Jamie know all that stuff of Hannah having to go back to that same memory and finding out she's dead? So you have to suspend disbelief, I think, a little bit because it's like, she doesn't know all that stuff that we saw. Yeah. <laughs> also... Everybody in that parlor took a bathroom break when she started telling the shit about the lady in the lake. Oh, you know. She's like, you now did, I'm going to go back into the 18 <laughs> already like two and a half hours like, in. <laughs> now let's take a break from the A plot about- completely abandoned for an episode and a half and the B plot that you thought was important. And now let me tell you a whole yeah. 40 minutes about this woman from the 18th century. Which was actually someone's looking at their watch at that point, like "Mm, you know, we got an early morning. Remember, we're gonna take our scotch to bed now. If it would have been me, I'd be like, I'm tired. (laughs) Anna, this isn't worth it anymore. (laughs) Okay, good. Tired. (laughs) 
<laughs> I actually really liked the second to last episode, but I also it was like nice to see somebody from the last season too, and I loved the character. Yeah. So I was really yeah. glad. To see. Her name's Kate. Kate. Kate Siegel. Yeah. That's Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan's wife. Oh no, and she's yeah. bisexual. And she's life. bisexual. Yes. Yeah. And wow. so I'm thinking, like, maybe she has something to do with pushing him to put queer stories. Like, that's something Ooh, I that, that I think could be good because otherwise it's just, like, this white guy being like, I'm going to tell queer stories about women. Yeah. Let's go with that. That's yeah. kind of how it, how it is a lot. Anyway. Yeah. Can I tell you guys that um, this, this show helped me accept death? Whoa. Whoa. Like your own or yeah. like in general? In general. I, I, I'm mm. really scared of people I love dying. Mm. So if I really think about it, cars are really scary. Things that are like that are so, so big and like could just hit you or I don't know. There's so many accidents and things that could happen. And I, I think I always am like, oh, my God anything could just happen. Like, this is so scary. Um, but the, I think Jamie's, Jamie has like a couple of times and like her talking about plants, maybe like talking about the moonflower one time. And then also when they're in the diner and she says something like, um, we'll take it one day at a time. Like that's all anybody has anyway. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like whether we know it or not, something could happen to anyone at any time and being afraid of it and so afraid is like not going to help anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just feel like that and the, they're kind of talk about the moonflower and how the fact that it dies is what makes it beautiful and how it's very natural and it's organic that that happens. And um, I think like, honestly, I really, it like changed me. <laughs> yeah in a big way Corey. that's beautiful yeah thank you i've never really experienced it too close to me so i feel like it's always been something where i'm like i don't know what would happen if that happened to me Mm -hmm. i would what would happen to me how would i deal with that i don't know but i I feel like this brought me maybe some comfort yeah that's really beautiful yeah i mean yeah not to get too too real but like, so I started watching this show Sunday night and, and this, I preface this by saying like, this was not an unexpected thing. Like it was very, very much expected for a while now. And especially last week, but the, the following morning I found out my grandmother had passed away. Oh, I'm mm. so sorry. Sorry. Thank you. It's, you know, she's, was in decline for a long time, like mentally. So... And then, like, over the last few years, more physically. So it was very much, like, a peaceful, mm-hmm. you know, we knew. We knew it was happening. So it was not, like, a crushing surprise. But as I am want to do, I'm like, mm, I'm going to retreat into fiction for the rest of the day. I'm going to watch the rest of the show and just, like, you know, do that. Like, this, like, gay ghost show. Yeah. Not realizing... Uh. That like the whole like <laughs> metaphor of Jamie and Danny, or at least one interpretation of it, and certainly how I interpreted it was like this is a metaphor for losing your partner to dementia. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, fuck. Which, like, I had watched my grandmother struggle with for many, many years. Um, But it was actually, like, deeply cathartic. And that, I think, is where a lot of my, like, open weeping came from. But it was, like, Mm -hmm. I had a similar experience, Corey, where I was like, wow, like, this show has such a, like, beautiful outlook on life and death and, like, love and possession. And I think that is part of why Danny and Jamie's story is, like, as powerful as it is, is because it's, like, it's not only this, like, beautiful gothic romance, but it's, like, a extremely healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, with two people who, like, really, like, know themselves or come to know themselves and help each other know themselves better and just have this like really beautiful outlook on like, we don't take anything for granted, you know? Cause, and I think that's like why you need the Peter and Rebecca story as the foil for Danny and Jamie. Like this is the bad version of this. And they set that all up with Danny and Jamie having that conversation in, I think episode three where like Danny says like love and possession are opposites. You shouldn't be able to confuse those two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love um, that. I love that moment. And then, ja- like, you see that Jamie, like, looks at her differently after she says that. Yeah. And I feel like that's when she first, like, sees more under the surface of Danny. Because I think the Danny character is so... I love Danny. And the, the, the acting choice, there's a little... It's a little weird sometimes, Victoria. Yeah. Um, to kind of play her like very front of the teeth and very kind of like very midwestern kind of little yeah kind of little like aloof Mm -hmm. but she but I was like just so impressed with her how like strong she was how brave she was like when she thought she saw Peter she ran out of the house with a poker and was like I'm gonna get him yeah like she wasn't hiding she wasn't scared like she was so bold in a way that I did not expect that character to be. And I was like, okay, this chick is like super layered and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a minute with Danny. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But me too. I mean, it took me a minute with Danny and Victoria Pedretti's performance. Mm. Mm-hmm. And cause I was sort of like, oh, okay, this girl is, if Hillary Duff attended the Margaret Qualley school of acting, <laughs> Is what we're getting here. Okay, it's all Victoria Perdetti is a great actress. No, I think she's great. But I, I think part of why she's great is that she, like, makes a fucking choice. Yes. Yeah. In how she's, she's going to play the character. And I'm like, ooh, this is, this is a strong choice. And I'm not sure if I'm totally receptive to it yet. But then, like, by episode three, when, like, what you're saying, Corey, like, when you started seeing all of those layers you know, when she became a little less than, like, Babysitter's Club, yeah, you know, plucky heroine, and we're like, oh, no, she's, like, a sad gay, <laughs> like, but even before that, you know, like, her, her strength, like, was, right, like, she, mm-hmm. she had this complexity to her that I think, I think Victoria Pedretti plays really, really well, is those, like, that blinding earnestness lends itself really well to also the, like, very intense darkness that she has to go to as well. But sorry, Deb, I cut you off. You said it took oh, you a minute no. with Danny. 
it it was the same though. I was like, this she's making really bold choices, and I don't know how I feel about it. And yeah. I'm not gonna. I don't want to be. <laughs> I mean to be mean, but I genuinely didn't know, and I didn't remember this from Hill House. But the first episode, in like the first ten minutes, I googled if she was wearing false teeth because I was like, wow, <laughs> she has a thick lisp, and I was like, it's so thick. And then I realized it. She does not have false teeth those are just her teeth which i love, I love. Her teeth. Yeah. and i hadn't noticed in the first season but i really i think she like heavily leaned into using her whole mouth and then i looked it up and i read an interview that she changes purposely the dot her like dialect for each character tries to like intensely changes it so there's a noticeable difference so I don't know if she like leaned into that or what, but I just thought like that mixed with the really thick Midwestern accent. that's like very, and the yeah. fact that we didn't really know anything about her besides the fact that she's always just screaming and looking terrified and on the verge of tears. I was like, Oh my God, yeah. I need to be done with this. Yeah. No, but it got so much better. It yeah. got so much better. Yeah. And I, now I'm excited. I'm excited to rewatch it now with like yeah. Danny, with Danny, glasses where i really love her from from the from the get-go yeah mm-hmm. that no, that definitely changed for me on a rewatch because i yeah it was the same for me where i just was like i'm not sold on this like i respect it i don't know if i enjoy it but then <laughs> like by the time you get to the end and you've gone through the gauntlet with them mm-hmm. um it's really rewarding of like seeing her track the journey of that performance and amelia eve too i mean like god damn yeah that woman gets a fucking 10 minute monologue <laughs> like, nuts it's yeah. and she helped she like helped write the, the yeah. backstory yes of the character which is pretty amazing it really, really is cool. i was actually like you know because obviously an actor like has input on that like that's part of their job is to help come up with the backstory but the fact that she was like hey mike here's all this research i did where i'm like the specificity of like She's northern, so she decided her father's a minor, like, especially, like, in 1987, like, that's such a specific choice to make that carries all this other stuff, like, really amazing. Yeah, and then her, like, contrasting who she is in the show with, like, she's talking about, like, this coal, which is dead, and it's dark, and with plants and leaves that are alive, and they grow, and kind of seeing how... um maybe how she's different from her family or from her father or from this life in this world, like even just between those two things, I think was, I can't believe she did that. I mean, that was not, yeah. I was like, how do you memorize that? She mentioned in the interview, the same interview where she said that she had in, like basically co-wrote her character that she, this was the most her character had ever spoken. Yeah. In general, it was, so interesting and i feel like on paper you'd see that she would have that long of a monologue that it would be basically an entire scene and you'd go oh jesus like what is this gonna be when i was a baby this is what happened to me but it was so believable and it was so like honestly acted that i i just thought it was captivating and And i think that was a moment too that everybody was like on jamie's side yeah Yeah. well it was also a moment like 
she also prefaced it by being like, okay, I'm going to tell you my life story because look, nothing's, this is going to work out anyway. So here we go. Let me just get this over with. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't a moment where she's like, let me tell you. Like, she almost yeah. prefaced it by being like, this is going to be me. You're probably not going to like it. It's a lot because no one's worth it. But here we go. And I kind Ooh. of loved that. Yeah, I, I love that. And I also love how, you know, she she's so she leads with self-preservation the entire time like she's very aloof in this very like protective way but it's also clear that she you know she wants to be wrong and you know i i i think it's it's really telling that that whole sequence begins with her being like People aren't worth it. You're not worth it. I'm not worth it. This is just how it is. This is my worldview. Let me give you a whole speech about, you know, where I come from and all these things. And then that speech ends with her. I can't remember the exact line, but she comes to this place of like really expressing to Danny, like, but I really think you might be worth it. Yeah. You know, where she, but she's still so guarded about about it, you know, it's, she's like, I'm, I'm divulging myself and unburdening myself of all of this. And this is my very long winded way of like (laughs) asking you to love me, you know? Mm. And like, I think you might be worth the effort. You know, I hope you think I am too. And I think by that same token, even though she doesn't say anything, this scene is my favorite piece of acting from Victoria Pedretti in the entire series. Because the, what her face does when Jamie is speaking, there's like one shot of her where it cuts, where Jamie has like stood up and is now talking about the flower and is now like in the piece of the monologue that's like, we leave more life behind, death is beautiful, death gives us meaning, all of these things. And like Danny is just like looking at her, like her like lean forward, her mouth is a little bit open. And it's like that to me is when Danny is like, oh, I'm done. I this is the love of my life. This is, you know, if I don't kiss this person in the next minute, I'm gonna fucking die. <laughs> you know? And I, I love that. Like that, I mean, that to me is like, okay, Victoria Pedretti is the real fucking deal because she hasn't said a goddamn word in this entire scene. And I'm watching in real time this girl fall in love. Oh. Like to a point of like annihilation. Ugh. That was so beautiful the way you just said all of that. That's, <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm watching Deb fall in love in real time. <laughs> watching me fall in love. <laughs> oh my gosh that is oh. that's, that's it that's really what I love about that scene because it's like that's that's part of where what I love about their chemistry but it's like so perfect in that moment because it's like they each have a very specific job to do in that scene but they're both doing it perfectly like and then by the time that Danny does like finally just get up she's like oh, I'm not gonna say a fucking thing I'm gonna just kiss you right now and there's such relief in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Fucking glasses is gone. <laughs> Get his ass out of here. Yeah. 
fucking she faced she faced him and then the next morning when she looks in the mirror there's no one there which is awesome there's no one there except her yeah the the i really loved i really loved that eddie her ex-fiance was haunting her and i loved the very first time we see it when she's walking across the street to go interview for the mm-hmm the job and then the car passes and she sees it really quick and we're like I I really I just love the idea that it's not like she goes to this place and then she's haunted by ghosts of the house it's like she comes in haunted she's already and that's what I think it makes her more than just what we didn't like about her being like kind of this kind of like I don't know stereotypical midwestern girl Mm -hmm. is like she are she's like felt so much already and i think for me episode four which was her her episode um i was just like it's just so i i just love i love her backstory and it it makes a lot of sense to me and i think like it just like show she's so brave like Mm -hmm. i don't know i feel like i don't know if a lot of people in that time period if you were gay would even do anything about it and she she is like, I can't be with this person who I do love and he's really great. I'm not going to do it. And then as soon as she like basically comes out, he dies and he haunts her. And the whole time she's out and the whole time she's herself, she's being haunted by this man who she kind of felt like she couldn't be her whole self with. And it's so, I, I just think that backstory is so amazing. And it makes me so amazed that she like makes all the moves on Jamie because I'm like, if that were me, I would be like, I'm never doing anything again because I feel so much guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. No, but she didn't, even though she probably felt that, I think she also felt like so intensely like she deserved or she needed or she wanted love. And I was just like, damn, she is so brave. And also like, we can probably all relate to like being queer and being like someone you like and being like so scared to even touch them or whatever and like never <laughs> couldn't be me couldn't be me just i don't like, know what that touch you <laughs> gay panic never knew her but i feel like she all she, too well she she showed that she showed oh, yeah. that well especially when she just touched jamie's hand and then she like pulls her hand away like oh f- i love that moment i love that moment and she pulls her hand away and then jamie like is like who the hell knew <laughs> yeah I fucking Jamie's love like, look, that. I'm moment. gay and everyone knows it, but who knew about you? We thought right. you were not gay. I thought that was such a lovely, lovely little subtle moment to introduce that, mm-hmm. you know. But that's the other thing, like what you're saying, like, I love episode four. I love Danny's backstory. I think it's a really unique thing about her character that she arrives at Blind Manor already haunted. Um... So she's like, mm, ghosts, got him. Right. He's with me. <laughs> spiders, try ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> That's scary, you little fucking spider, you little punk-ass kid. <laughs> trying to scare me. Oh, she just grabs it. Like, Guess what? Oh. My internalized homophobia is manifested as a ghost yeah. of my dead fiance. What else you got? That's a mess for me. Oh, the first scare of the my time here at Blind Manor is you're going to trap me in a closet. Oh Been there, done God. that, little kid. So stressed out for her. I know, she was so oh, scared. But she the kids so were scared. trying to protect her. She was so scared her. in the closet. 
Um, but no, but the thing that I love so much about her in those flashbacks and her like breaking up with Eddie, I did not like the way Eddie died because it was hysterical, but <laughs> full on like, <laughs> like Wiley Coyote, like flattened by a truck. Um, but I really but, like the glasses and the headlights of the truck. I know it's a really effective oh my gosh. with his with his glasses. But like, so cool. but I love that. Like, you know, we know that the thing is that she's gay because we're seeing her start to come to that with Jamie. But in those flashbacks, she can't say to him, "It's because it's women." It's she can get as far as. I know that I don't feel about you the way I'm supposed to feel. Mm. Yeah. And I can't do this. And, and I feel that feeling strongly enough that I know that I can't do this. And I know that freeing myself from this will help me get to the gay part, but I can't quite get there yet because I'm still too tied up in this. And that is like exactly what my experience was. Mm. Um, at least like through my like young adulthood was like I, I was stuck in that place for a long time where it's like I can't get to the part of liking women yet but I definitely am at the part where like I don't like this man yeah. the way I th- the way I know he feels about me I know I don't feel that way about him and I just feel guilty all the time yeah the way like you just don't feel the way that you think you should that everybody yeah. else thinks you should yeah, yeah. Like, and I think it's a really like specific way of showing someone who's struggling with their sexuality is not yeah. like, I can't be with you because I'm in love with this other woman. It's like, no, I just can't be with you because it's not right. And mm-hmm. I know that there's this other piece of it and I think I maybe, maybe know what it is, but I can't quite get there yet. So you're yeah. going to haunt me until I meet a cute gardener. <laughs> the cutest gardener. I love her so much. I love Jamie so much. Um, you know what I really loved? And I was talking to um, a friend, Allison Burns, about this. She will surely listen to this, so that's why I'm calling her out. Um, about um, the show never calls out. It's the 80s, and not one person ever, ever thinks anything of their relationship. It seems that everybody knows. Nobody ever is like, what? You two women? Like, they kiss in the hallway without any fear of anybody seeing them. Owen and Hannah clearly know about them, even when they and are, like, you know, part of the... They, like, they see their connection. They see the, like, budding love between them. And it's supposed to be in the 80s. And, like, they don't have to call it out. They're never... And I love, too, that we know Danny is, like, struggling with her sexuality. But you don't... She's not like, I've never done this before. <laughs> she just does it. Like, it's organic but, and it's natural for both of them. And I feel like the whole, everybody else in the house sees, like, this is just love. Like, yeah. it's organic and it's natural. And there didn't have to be this whole big moment where the other adults in the house were like, hold on, they're falling in love? <laughs> You'd think that would be the first thing to do when you're writing this from the perspective of somebody living in the 80s. But that's not the way that they went. And I, and I just thought it was, I thought that was mm-hmm. such a wonderful choice. And it was really refreshing as a gay person watching it because mm-hmm. 
you're all of the queer content we have, I'd say like 75%, if not more of it is about people first figuring out their sexuality. It's never just like, here's just a love story about two lesbians who have just been lesbians for like 20 years. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's always like, here's my coming of age story. Right. Here's, here's me fi- leaving my husband for this woman. Yeah. What is going on? It yeah. just was, it was just a pure love story that just happened naturally. And it just was. Yeah. And it was and so think, to watch it. Yeah. And I think part of what I like about it, and I think that's what I like the most successful Maybe not the most, but but certainly ones that I like a lot are like queer stories that that can find that middle path where it's like we're not pretending that history doesn't exist. You know, we're not pretending that they're living in a time where like this is completely fine and safe. But we're also like gonna just tell this love story because there were people who lived at that time who were in love and were able to have a relationship. Like there were lesbians living together and, and finding a way to be happy in the eighties, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, I think when people like look at representation like this, that's set in a previous decade and are like, well, that's unrealistic because they're not being called dykes and fags in every scene. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not real. That that's what would have happened to them. Like, maybe not. Like, maybe that didn't. Like, homophobia is real, but like, it doesn't. It doesn't stop people the way, you know, some representation wants it to. Like, like, like straight audiences seem way more hung up on the coming out process and yeah. <laughs> struggling with yeah. homophobia than than any actual queer people do. I feel like it they, it's completely accurate and true to the experience that Danny is just like, great, this is what I've been looking yeah. for. Like, it's on, That's you know? That's so true, yeah. Like, they spent also, one night together and Danny's like, you coming back tonight? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Go home, take a shower, change your clothes. Right? I'm gonna be up all night. He's like, you know, another night. Back? Part of what is good about this story is also that it's within the horror genre. And I think like, within the horror genre, things are different than in any other genre. And these people have been through so much that I don't think they give a shit about a lesbian couple. Like Henry at the end, maybe Henry would be the one that we would expect to be a little shitty, but he just has been fighting with his horrible self for an episode. I I got a doppelganger. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He was like, I was possessed and I died and I came back. So it's like, I don't care if you guys are together. Um, and and yeah, so I think <laughs> that's something I like about the horror genre too, is like, and, and I think as a person, as a young person, before I knew I was queer, what I liked about the genre too, is that like, I think horror is queer, whether or not there's queer people in it. I, I just, I just Ooh. think the genre is queer for some reason, like in a way where it made me feel seen that's that cool. no other genre did. <laughs> Wait, say more. Yes, please. I am fascinated. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know, but I, I mean, my favorite movie is Scream. There's no queer people in Scream, but there's something about like, Scream is a queer film for sure. Scream is queer, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Scream 4 is definitely queer, but Scream is queer. And I, I think there's something about characters who have something haunting them, have things that they're not 
that people don't, so there's so many different times of horror, but a lot of times if it's a supernatural thing, there's a woman, she says something is happening and no one believes her. Hmm. So this kind of thing of like, you know, something's real, but no one believes you, or you can't explain it, or you can't understand it yourself, trying to figure it out. No one can help you figure it out, but yourself, you have to face it. You have to, um, you have to fight it. You have to be the one to own it and to be independent, to take ownership of it. Um, with slashers, that's the same way. You have the final girl. It's always a final girl. And she's always someone who is choosing herself and her life and, and all these different things over anything else. And I just always felt like very connected to this, this thing of like, oh, this thing is so powerful, whatever it is, this external thing. But I definitely think it represents, it feels very queer to me. It also represents so many things, it represents grief, um, fear, trauma. Um, guilt, shame, <laughs> all these, all these emotions, all these things about ourselves, they're externalized in horror. Um, and, and that's why I love it so much. And it allows you to feel those things and maybe laugh because they're not scary or scream because they are scary or hold your breath because they are scary and then release it and feel, you know, catharsis from that. Um, so many, so many emotions that you feel during horror are like, it's a way to protectively and safely feel those emotions in your living room that you don't have to feel in real life when something's happening to you. That's actually scary. And I, I, I love, I love horror so much. It's just, I think it's helped me a lot just as a person. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. Corey, you should write an essay on that. <laughs> yeah. That was, I would read that's the amazing. Fuck out of it. That yeah. is amazing. Maybe I will. It's a really, I've never heard that take before. Wow, Corey, that blew my mind a little bit, and I'm yes. really excited to like listen back and take in that, yes. take that There's all definitely, in again, um, and like completely rethink the horror genre because it's never been my go-to. But like, wow, I've never heard it talked about like that, and I think that's like incredible and really valuable. And wow, there's so, there is some good. My mind's uh, a little bit blown right now. Some good writing about it. I, I I was a film major, and so I would need to read like academic writing on film for papers and stuff. And Oh yeah. Um, I yeah, love that and, life. <laughs> but I just got really into that. And I even wrote a, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there's a whole subgenre of horror called rape revenge. And yeah. um, I wrote a whole thing on rape revenge and, you know, writing it can be really tough because you're living in these moments that are really painful for people in films and stuff. But you know, it really is interesting to think about the way all these things are portrayed in film and how that allows people to feel seen and heard and that sort of thing. Um, and there's just so much good writing on horror, um, the figure of the abject, which I was always really into, mm. which is kind of like this space where meaning disappears, this like dark space where meaning physically disappears. Um, and like, it's definitely a lot of like monsters are like the abject and I wrote a whole paper on uh, Jennifer's body being an abject because <laughs> oh, yeah. I really loved that movie. Um, so but yeah, there's some, <laughs> <laughs> some good writing on it. If you ever look up stuff, I'm sure you can find some, some people that have written about horror in this way too. That's yeah. really, really interesting. Wow. I mean, it's not quite as much of a, like a genre as, as horror is, but it's kind of similar to, what I thought was really great about San Junipero. And I mean, I think there's a lot to compare about between like this relationship and San Junipero, maybe just because it's the eighties, but 
<laughs> like, um, yeah, because in, in my, like, academic film journey, I wrote, I, you reminded me of a, a paper I wrote about Sandra Napero about um, nostalgia and queerness and how, like, the whole queer theory of nostalgia is that, like, nostalgia is, like, a non-essentialist reading of time. You know, like, in the same way we can approach gender from a non-essentialist place, we can approach time mm-hmm. from a non-essentialist place, and that's what nostalgia is. Mm-hmm. Um, and how nostalgia, because it is, it's not histor- it's not history, it's not objective memory, it's pastiche, and it's, like, recreation, and it's, like, all these different things, like, it lends itself really well to, you know, queer narratives. And I, like, I think about, and I thought about this a lot with Bly Manor, too, like, and I, I would really be curious to know, like, because obviously Mike Flanagan had to make the choice of, I am going to center this the like thesis of this entire series around this lesbian love story. Like that's a choice. Like if anybody wants to be like, it's just a love story. It doesn't matter that they're two right. women like bullshit. You chose to make it that way. Why did you choose that? Yeah. The gardener could have been a man very easily. Easily, <laughs> easily. The, the meaning is, is the same, but the meaning is stronger with it being two women because there's like an entire different context of, there's an entire different set of stakes that go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that, as we were saying, that those stakes aren't made like maudlin and really dramatic, but they're still there. Mm-hmm. Um, but similarly with Sandra Napero, where like Charlie Brooker like did talk about the making that choice um, in, in interviews where he was like, I originally wrote it as a, as a straight couple, but I realized like, this story and the framework of the story is way more meaningful and will be way more meaningful with a queer couple. Like mm-hmm. who would, who would benefit most from quote unquote nostalgia therapy, like from being able to go back to their childhood and live in a place that doesn't have the history attached to it, doesn't have the social stigma attached to it. Yeah. Like you can nice. go back and be <laughs> your 20 year old self and be openly queer and fall in love with a woman and be able to like completely revise history in that way. Like, so I like, I know there are some people who were like, Oh, but that's shitty that he was just like, Oh, it'll be better if it's queer. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what, that's what I want creators to be doing. I want creators to be having yeah. a lot of like, Oh, actually this story is actively better if it's a queer couple. And I feel like, and I'd be so curious to know if Mike Flanagan had that thought, when Mike Flanagan had that thought of like this story and Danny's experience, you know, if he's tapping into any of the things that you're talking about, Corey, of like the queerness of the horror genre and the idea of like not being believed and not believe in believing yourself and like all of these things, like, you know, that her strength comes from her certainty and her feeling for Jamie, you know? Yeah. I wonder if that was from the beginning. Yeah. It kind of seems like it should, it should have been. It felt very much. I, I don't know if you could have just switched at least Danny. Um, I think a big part of why she wasn't happy with her ex. And I think that's a big part oh, of her. Yeah. It's not just that he died when they were engaged. It was that, 
she also kind of broke his heart right before and then yeah. like literally saw him die and feels carries that around probably also carries around like did i just waste years of his life when he could have been with someone else right Oof. and i could have been with someone else and did i did i take that from him like i could just imagine all the things she might be feeling which is why i always i always think it's amazing how strong she is and how even how strong she is when she takes on the Lady of the Lake and she takes her into herself. Oh my God. I mean, and also something I was thinking about that I think is so sweet is she's a, you know, she's a teacher. And at the beginning when he asks like why she wants to be an au pair and she's like, there's just so many kids and I want to just help one or two. And she literally saves Flora's life. Like she Mm -hmm. saves, she saves both of their lives. She helps these kids escape the situation she you know saves them they live and they end up forgetting all the trauma of that event which unfortunately she was not able to forget and she had to live with the trauma for her the rest of her life but she did what she always wanted to do which was change the life of just one child mm-hmm. what she always wanted to do i mean i just i was just so blown away when i thought about that and i was just like yeah. you know what like i think she's I don't know. I think she had a short life, but she had so much that she did so many things that she wanted to do. And she had found someone she loved. And just like the, there's also a voiceover that says like, it's, it's more time than some people get. Yeah. It's more time than some people get in a, some people never find that kind of love. Some people never have a relationship like that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff makes me feel better (laughs) about their relationship. It's not like, Oh, it's so tragic. It's well, like, they, like you think about like Hannah and Owen are that are that tragic story where it's like they didn't get any time. Yeah. You know, so so I think that makes Jamie yeah. extra grateful. Also, something a timeline thing that I uh, realized is so then like literally after Danny and Jamie sleep together uh, and then they have the, like a day and then it's the night where. Danny was like, you should stay or you should come back. Like, that's the night. It's the same night that she takes on the Lady of the Lake. Or maybe it's the next day. But it's like almost no time passes. She's wearing the same sweater. Because right after that, I think, right after that, she sees Rebecca. They tie her up. Then we get all these flashbacks. Then we have episode eight. Then she escapes. Flora runs out of the house and the lady grabs her. I did not realize that. Damn, me neither. That blows my mind. I know, because then I was thinking, like, what if Jamie had stayed? I thought that, too, when she was was like, please stay the night. I was like, no, I don't want Jamie, too. Yeah, I don't want her to get hurt. Yeah. Oh, Yeah, but you know what? You got to think, would any of this have happened if Danny and Jamie had just been, like, fucking all night? Yeah. Yeah. Would any of it have happened? Yeah, but then... All the people would be stuck. Flora might have been taken by the lady. Maybe. People, all the, all or maybe the, the lady would, would have be been trapped. like, you know what, I'm going to yeah. leave the house at peace for tonight. <laughs> These ladies are trying to have a good time. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cool, cool myself down. <laughs> cool myself down. Yeah. In the I'm lake. Out here at the lake. Keep my ghosts with me. <laughs> I want them to have a good night. She has finally accepted her sexuality. 
I'm really happy for them. <laughs> I've been watching this love blossom for the last couple days. I've been watching. I've Maybe been watching. Like, I saw you job. with that fucking moonflower. <laughs> I was waiting. I was ready to snatch one of you at that garden. But I was like, damn, what? she's monologuing. But I say love is love. This girl. Far be love it from me as the lady of the lake to try and to interrupt <laughs> love true love like this. Love is love. Lady of the lake said it. Yeah. Love is love. The, the speaking of the ghost though that's you said Corey about how Danny did so much with her short life like she found the love of her life she sh- saved the kids lives she also freed all the other goat like spirits that were trapped in the house yeah and she never trapped another one because it was Danny that line in the voiceover when Jamie is underwater and she's screaming while looking at her body and she's pleading for her to take her with her but she says but the lady of the lake is Danny and Danny would never. Yep. The Lady of the Lake, yeah, was different. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm going to start so Danny really is an amazing sad. character. Oof. I think so. And her, and also her family background seemed really tough. And yeah. having that mother figure in Eddie's mom, I think that's such an interesting thing. And, and she was just was like a good person who wanted to help people and do good. And she, and she did. Yeah. And so was Jamie. Jamie was right. that way too. They were like these really good, beautiful people who just, I mean, I was just thinking they never fought. They were never angry or upset at each other or thought or were jealous or anything as, as much as we saw. They were just truly just supportive people who were like, what's wrong? How can I help? Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, you're being weird again or something, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's like, that's what I find really sweet about when Victoria Pedretti like talks about them in interviews, like, and she loves talking about them and she's just like, I'm just so happy that we can represent like a really healthy, really healthy, like modern couple, you know, that like they, they don't take each other for granted at all. And they have like boundaries and, uh, (laughs) you know, they don't, there's no codependency. Like, I think it's really fascinating that like, in the montage, you know, of, of years later that like, we see them like a full year into their relationship when Jamie is like, I'm actually pretty in love with you. I know. I was like, okay, a year. I know. Yeah. Oh, that took her a damn. Probably took me a month. Someone's been to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) And then I always joke. (laughs) And then I always joke that I'm like, I was playing it cool, and Anna was like, he said he left me after, like, a month. <laughs> like, oh, well, I guess I'm not as cool as I thought. Oh, that's funny. So I respect that. Yeah, they really do. Oh, my gosh. The proposal scene? Kill me. Put a, put a me fork. The, wait, hang on. Thank you, Deb. You just reminded me of a very important note that I took, and I would like to point oh. out, if anyone from Netflix is listening... You need to fucking correct your subtitles, please. This is an egregious subtitle error. What? Danny is proposing to Jamie. She says, you're my best friend and the love of my life. Oh, she says, I love Netflix subtitles it. You're my best friend and I love my life. What? No, no, no. Y'all gotta like listen close to her little fucking 
slurry it, midwestern that's accent. That's what I here. I also thought she said that at first listen. Um, but then when I've listened back to it, I was like, oh, I think she's it, it it's hard to tell though. But yeah, that's it hard it to is. tell, but like use common copy, bitch. She's gonna yeah. she's proposing to she's this proposing. Girl. Yes. <laughs> that's something I love my life. Use best it she kind of whispers it. Yeah. That's why it's also so Because she's choked up because she's fucking acting. Yeah. Thank you. The sadness, the sadness in her voice where she's where she just knows like their days are numbered. I know. She, but they they she has to do it. Like she has to ask her to marry her. And then like Jamie's so happy and when they hug and Jamie's happy and then Danny's like looks really sad. Yes. And, like fuck this. Like oh. she deserved to be happy in this moment too, but she's just scared of the future. I'm sure you both saw in inner because we've all been reading interviews that um, there's a deleted scene. Yes, no. and we have to see it. We have I'm like, to see it. I'm I'm really angry that the, that it's not out there. Amelia is talking yeah. it up. She's talking she's it up. Like, she's putting the pressure on them because she's like, I mean, I want to see that too. I'm curious too. I think it's right that she just left because it would have been hard not to, but. Well, because what would the story, where would the story have gone? Because, like, part of... Well, she still le- would have left. Well, she still would have left, but I think... And I, I was talking about this with my coworker who just finished it, where, we like, we were talking about that that interview of that scene where it was like, oh, my God, I would kill to see that scene. I'm sure that was, like, fucking stunning. But you gain a lot more in the later part of Jamie's story, like like part of the tragedy and part of why you believe that Carla Gugino is still trying to find a sign, trying is because they never got that moment, you know? Ooh. She never got to fully say goodbye. And I think had yeah. there been, had we seen that scene of like the clutching, crying, sobbing, please don't leave, um, Right, she maybe the, the tragedy is that focus. she never even got that chance. You know. Yeah, and also I think it would have been kind of weird if, if then she's just like, okay, how long can I should I wait till I go and just like make sure she's in the water? Like, you know, she'd have to like wait a bit for her to go and like go be in the water and do her thing right. and then go. It's so well, much I would imagine that it was like they that it was two they things, would. you know, that it was like she that she tried to leave in the night or tried to leave at some point in some way and Jamie stopped her and then Danny realized like okay I have to change tack and leave in the middle of the night when she's asleep you know mm-hmm. oh, I would like think it would have to be two night. different attempts yeah but yeah. I get so I do I do get why they cut it but here's what I think they should have done okay <laughs> Pacing wise, I feel like we could have cut a lot of the backstory for Peter Quint. I really didn't care about any of that. He's the villain. I don't really need to sympathize with him. I know. Yeah. Who cares? They, I think, should have truncated episode eight and have episode eight end with the climax. Like, have episode eight end with her rescuing flora and the you know like and like cut on that of like her and jamie and flora like out of the water we're safe you know Mm -hmm. 
and then episode nine be all the aftermath and have episode nine be this like really meditative character thing where it's like this this whole episode is just about them trying to make their life work you know i think like because there's so many great shows that make that kind of choice where like like the leftovers like it's we're done with all of the symbolic shit like it's we're now just about the characters and the and the emotional heartbeat of all of this because it was only nine episodes so they really could have even I don't know. And it wasn't as long. Also, I was looking at Hill House. Like, some of the episodes are, like, almost an hour. Right. So you had the time. Some of the episodes and done that still. Right. Packed it on to the end of eight. Even if you wanted the whole eight, you know, they could have right. done it. And I was kind of like, I'm wondering if they, I think Hill House, they maybe shot over a longer period of time. It was the first one. And I think this one, they maybe had to do a quicker, maybe not as big of a budget. But I do kind of wish there was a little bit more as well. And I think that would have been... Mm-hmm. even more amazing especially with the whole dementia kind of um metaphor which i found right. to be really really powerful especially in the scene where she's looking in the bathtub and she totally loses herself and she doesn't even know what what's happening for a moment it's just yeah. really 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 sad mm-hmm. that reminds me of another note that i took that i'm looking at <laughs> of um it's so interesting to me, like with the dementia metaphor, how in episode four, when Owen's mother dies, Jamie has like comes back from the funeral. I mean, I also, I also love, love, love the scene where Jamie is like, you don't have to go to this funeral. Like no yeah. one's making you. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't feel right, don't go. Yeah. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to go. I so love your boundaries, that girl. Oh, like, so good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make you do something you don't want to do. Love that. Um, but when they come back from the funeral and Jamie has this really like certain speech of like, you know, I, uh, I imagine Owen must be relieved. Like it's gotta be a relief on some level. Yeah. Um, which I think is like a completely honest, I think relief is a really honest feeling to have in those situations. But, um, but she kind of presents it with just like, Oh man, if I, if that were me, I would like, yeah, couldn't do it. couldn't do it if i get to be like that you know like put me out of my misery you know like whatever and then like then you see her like it's in that scene next to the tub with danny where she's just like you know and and hannah kind of tries to like push back against her in that scene and after after the funeral where she's like "Mm, it's not about fairness like it's not like i get where you're coming from but it's it's a lot more than that for the people who are in it. And then you see her in episode nine with Danny looking over that tub and Jamie is like so desperate, like yeah, we'll just do fucking anything to have any time with her, whatever state she's in, you know, that like, I like Jamie comes completely 180 from that, from that point of view, being someone who's in the position of like, Oh no, I would, I, I wouldn't end this a day sooner than, yeah. than I absolutely have to. Yeah, so true. Are you crying? <laughs> I feel like I've finally gotten a little bit of distance from it because honestly, it was, it was really weighing on me. Just like I felt like I was in it so much. And I, yeah, I'm finally feeling like I have a little bit of 
a little bit of distance away from that no, feeling. Same. Yeah. Today was the first day that I, or I was like, I actually feel okay. Ironically, like knowing that we were going to record this. I was like, <laughs> I feel okay. And I had the I same thing. I was like, wait, I may be like over this. <laughs> and then I watched a fan vid right before we recorded with that fucking song. And I was like, <laughs> started to tear up and I was like, oh no. The day that I watched it at night and then my, I was, my cousin was coming over for dinner a half hour after I finished the finale. And I, I don't think I've, I I don't know if I, I don't know if I've ever cried as hard. (laughs) Like genuinely, I don't know if I've cried that hard at least in the last 10 years. Um, It was so bad. I just wept audibly into Kayla's arms because she watched and I, was watching it from the perspective of like like Corey like you mentioned that it was a that it helped you accept death and it actually I feel like I had an opposite reaction mm. where mm. it reminded me that it was inevitable and it reminded yeah. me that this is going to happen regardless like whether we want it to or not and that got me with the with the fact that I love my wife so much and we've been together for so long and I know we will be together for the rest of our lives and just watching it from that perspective. And I, I think about death all the time. It scares the fuck out of me. But the thing that scares me more is less about how I'm going to die, but how, but if I have, if I'm going to be alive for when my spouse dies and it's just, I think yeah. about it so much that I, it something I've had to talk about in therapy. Cause I'm like, why do I, why do I create these horrible mental images? And like, why do I torture myself like this? I don't know why I do it. Mm-hmm. And then the show kind of was like a manifestation of my worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a hard pill to swallow. I almost want to, I want to rewatch it and try to see it from the lens that, that you did Corey and try to have a different experience with it. But my mm-hmm. reaction was like, I had just found out that my wife died or that yeah, I yeah. just lost her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my cousin came over and I opened the door and she goes, have you been crying? <laughs> That's <laughs> an like, understatement. <laughs> yes. um, she was like, our faces look the same. We get really blotchy. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's really bad. I can't hide it. Um, but the whole next day I cried on the bus. I was at work. I cried at work once because I had like a stretch where I had no customers. And I was like, if I let myself, I could. And then I went, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. No. <laughs> I just felt like a rain cloud, but the last couple, like yesterday and today was like my first time, my first day where I was like, I feel like I'm getting out of this, yeah. but seriously one, one fan bit and I'm back. Yeah. I know. I, I have to kind of stop that for a little bit. You know, yeah, stay off Tumblr, Deb. I'm like, <laughs> stay off Tumblr. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm plugged in. Um, well yeah i mean deb you're making me think of uh the jason isbell song this was the this was the song my coworker was like oh i have a song you need to add to your playlist which is uh because apparently she like <laughs> i love it nicole god bless you when uh because she like had the same reaction that uh-huh. we all did of just like sobbing like unconsolable sobbing at the end of it um and we were like chatting the next day and I was like, here's my playlist. Like, I just, I have to do this to cope. And she sent me this song. She's like, I've been listening to this. It makes me think of them. Um, if We Were Vampires by Jason Isbell. Yes. Mm, I don't know that one. 
Oh my gosh, Jason Isbell also. Is it about like the high women? Big high women. Is that like maybe? Big high women. Yeah. Is it about like what, Corey? Is it about like if we were vampires, what would it be like? Right. So like the whole like the core like the whole. It's kind of meant to be like a wedding song, and it's like. Whoa. It's about this exact thing where it's like. Um you know, maybe we'll get 40 years together, but someday I'll be gone. Someday you'll be gone. It's about acknowledging that, you know, exactly what Deb is talking about. And there's a verse that starts with like, if we were vampires and death was a joke, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, that it's, and it's what Jamie talks about in, in her monologue that like death and mortality is what gives life meaning and beauty. Yep. And it's um, natural. I think to me, the idea that it was natural, something yeah. about the nature, the fact that we're humans and that we mm-hmm. are meant to die as humans. And that's like the natural cycle of us, just yeah. like it is for the flower. I, I think, I think that comparison was really yeah, what made that speech so cool. And mm-hmm. I think that's like, you know, that's like, that's a message that is, something that's so uniquely handled by the horror genre, you know? Wait, if you're talking about vampires, if you're talking about ghosts, like, questions of immortality and the meaning of life are dealt with in those genres, in in that genre, in a way that no other one can. So when it's done really successfully, like this was, where it, like, hits you with that emotional fucking sucker punch. Yeah. Um... It's just devastating because, I mean, we're all terrified of death. We're all terrified of the people we love dying. To me, like, the thesis of the show is that the, uh, the price of love, the cost of love is loss. And yeah, that's what his, his speech is, right? Owen's speech at the wedding or something like yeah. the work of love. The work is- of loving them is worth the pain of losing them. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, Yes. Um, and the, and then when Flora yeah. says like all you know, or well, Flora says like it's not a ghost story; it's a love story. And then I think it's Jamie actually who says, you know, same. It's thing not yeah, no like difference. They're they're kind yeah. of the same thing. And I think that's completely true. So I guess that brings us like, do we should we even talk about the final image? Because <laughs> and well, let me just say something. So how I was trying to tell you about the um, timeline of that night, the final image, she's wearing the same pink sweater. Yes. Yes. That she was when she went in the water to save Flora. So I think that also connects to the fact that she's that it's that night still for her book. I think what makes me sad is the idea that they do talk about how though she kind of forgets things while she's under the water. Yeah. Danny would, and she would forget her life and and so is it i don't know it, I but think don't you think jamie keeps it alive <laughs> i think that's i think that's kind of part of it i think that's yeah for me that was part of what that final moment meant of well it's a couple of things I, I i adore how amelia eve talks about it where she sees this comparing it to the moonflower monologue that the moonflower monologue is the first time she she calls it a purge you know she's like she's purging herself of yeah mm -hmm. of this trauma of all of this pain of all of this 
stuff that she's holding. And, and of course, at the end of that purge, there's Danny, like, no, bitch, I'm ride or die. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and then here we are, like, and for Amelia Eve, even though she doesn't play that scene, obviously, Carly Gugino plays that scene. For Amelia Eve, she saw it as like, this is, this is the only other time she does that. You know, similar to the Moonflower monologue, this is her purging. Yeah, like telling the whole story. Right, of getting it completely out of her system and, you know, giving herself that healing process. And of course, in doing that, you know, Danny, Danny is there. Um, but I also really love that, like, when asked, Victoria Pedretti and Amelia Eve both, when they're both, when they're asked, like, do you think this is the first time Danny has visited Jamie? They both say without hesitation, no, Danny is with Jamie all the time. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, I, I, I was thinking today, like, Deb, I, I understand your fear of losing your partner. And I think Anna and I have kind of talked about this a little bit. It's like, if Anna died, she would want me to find someone else. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't want me to be alone for the rest of my life. And same with me for her. And I do understand the fact that they had such an intense love and bond. But I, I do find it a little interesting that, and, and maybe sad that she feels so connected that she doesn't feel like she can ever be with anyone else. Um, but I guess that's the question then, you know, where... And I wouldn't want the, to see her with anyone else, but I do no, think no. that people should, you know, there's not just one person for everyone and you should be able to. Right. She was so young when she lost Danny. Right. But I think so that's the question that Amelia Eve's like interpretation of that poses is like, so she's, she's having this huge cathartic experience of like, I am telling this entire story. I'm, you know, in some ways, maybe like I am letting Danny go, you know, this is the most perfect way to preserve her memory. Like I have told her story. I, you know, like her memory will live on, you know, is that the moment? So maybe, maybe Carla Gugino wakes up the next day and is like, okay, maybe I can start to move on. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't. Think I so. do, but I'm also yeah, just like I want that bitch to be ninety, looking in those tubs. Yeah, <laughs> I know, and I, I, I don't know. I, I love them together so much. It's not like I want her to be with someone else, but I do think it, it would be hard for her to, for her, the rest of her life, be holding on to that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh yeah, I like the idea that she could potentially move on, even though she definitely would have to. You know, she'll be eighty, and she'll it. find some Sarah Paulson to keep her, <laughs> keep her safe for the last few years of her life. Curse her into death. Where's her Sarah Paulson? (laughs) Yo, Sarah Paulson gave an interview once about dating Holland Taylor, and she's like, or and also like just generally dating women who are like considerably older than her. Yeah, and she's like, like, they have a greater appreciation for life. Ooh, what the fuck? (laughs) I don't know. I have an appreciation. Like yeah, but like that's not a like dating people because they're close to death and therefore have embraced mortality. It's like it is interesting that Sarah is so clearly only attracted 
to much older women. <laughs> she was with Cherry Jones for a long time. Yeah. She was with Cherry Jones for a long I time. Love- and like, yes. God bless Cherry Jones. Like, she still fucks. Yeah. Cherry rocks. Oh man, there's a really good fresh air. Yeah, I love Cherry with Jones. Her. <sighs> oh man. I was just looking to see if I had missed, if the, you know, if there's anything in my notes that I had missed saying. You know, I love the whole setup of their first kiss. Mm. That just before that, you know, Danny has this scene with Miles where she is explaining to him the concept of a chosen family. Um, which again is like a deeply queer thing. You know, she's talking about it more in the sense of like being an orphan, even though she's not, but like we never really completely get all the details of what's up with her mom, but like an absent parent, you know. Yeah, I think her dad um, died and then her mom was kind of absent. Yeah. Um, but I love that. I love that she's like she understands that and hearing her explain it to Miles of just like you get to choose the adults in your life and like wow, you have great adults, you have great grown-ups to choose from, you know, like, yeah, and I love love that that then, like, as we get into, as her and Jamie, like, go into the greenhouse, um, I I really love the line, like, I, the writing is inconsistent for, to me, like, in, in terms of quality, (laughs) yeah, but, um, uh, what the hell, I did, oh, yeah, she says, um, in the narration, she'd chosen someone to keep close to her that she could feel tired around. Mm. That that's the description of of her and Jamie as they like go into that moment that leads to their to their yeah. first kiss. I yeah, that, that's such I, a lovely line. I love that. Yeah, and how Jamie's also like, I'd ask how you are, but I don't want to be lied to. So what's wrong? Yeah. You know, yeah. kind of like she can just tell something's wrong. She's like, let's just cut it. Like, don't just tell me you're okay. Like, what's going on with you? Right. Yeah, I like that. And of scene. course, like, it's so lovely that, like, you know, Danny leads the kiss and then Jamie's like, you sure? Yeah. And then also when Danny screams, she's like, Jamie's like, sorry, sorry. You just said you weren't ready. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. Like, she right. de- she definitely isn't, like, angry at her in any way. She's no. just kind of like, that wasn't the right move. Like, I shouldn't have let this happen or something. And it's just... Yeah. Just so caring, you can really tell. No, I mean, I it's really a testament to their to their chemistry and and their work together. That like, given ultimately how little screen time they actually have together, like they are they are the the main point of the show. You know, like the and I think part of my frustration comes from like. The, the the ending is so decidedly about them like like that is i mean literally like the last fucking shot of the entire thing is danny's hand on jamie's shoulder but like you know that's part of where my annoyance comes in of like there's so much there's so much we could have cut to give them more time <laughs> you know yeah. like all they wanted was more time. All we wanted was more time with them. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah I think like ultimately like I love the series and I I and I love this love story. I think it's like really remarkable for a lot of reasons, but like uh, the pacing is is kind of whack throughout. That like I do wish 
I, I do think there are things, there's like some fat that could have been trimmed to make more room for like letting this love story like fully, fully blossom. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say that somebody, a friend of mine, a straight man said that same thing. And I was like, how fucking dare you? And then you said it and I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it's, Corey, your tweet about it, you, the tweet was like, if your opinion, if you're not queer, like your opinion about why doesn't or doesn't matter, and I was like, but it is true. If I've seen anything online or like anybody has been like, it was really great, but and they're not, they're not queer. I'm like, <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I don't care so what you have mad. to say. Yeah, no, it's not for you. I mean, it's. I'm, I'm glad that you watched it and enjoyed it, and hopefully you learned something from it and like were able to appreciate something. I'm like, I don't. If if any. Besides a queer person is like critiquing it. It makes me angry. I totally agree. And that's why if I've had some people reach out and be like, oh, like I've posted about how much I love it. And some people have been like, oh, I didn't like this or blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm just like, ultimately, I don't care what they think because it's not going to resonate as much with, with, with them. No, and that's okay. I, Something else can resonate with you, but this is not going to be the thing that is as important as it is to me. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. And and my critique, I want to be clear, like, I still fucking bawled, you know? It's not like, it's not like I didn't think it was emotionally effective. I just am like, there are things, there are aspects of this love story that you sacrificed for plot lines that ultimately mattered so much less. So why did you make that choice, you know? Like, mm-hmm. you're rushing, you know, like, I, I don't want to knowing that like there's not a good enough reason that we were given just a montage of them building their life together where like i can think of at least like three scenes that could have been cut so that we could have full scenes yeah of watching them build this life together that would have made that ending that much more emotional yeah um so that's it it's not it's not even like just more. Give us more. Right. It's <laughs> just like, I, yeah. yeah, the critique was just like, why this over that? You know, I was going to say about Peter too, is that Peter Quint is a, is a bad character and unlikable. And not that this makes it so much better, but he was, he was a character that um, I feel like most people really cared about in the first season. Cause he was in Hill House. Right, that actor, yeah. I think that helped. Like that helped with, I was like, I hate this person, but there yep. was still a, and I know obviously I, you must differentiate the actor from the character, but yeah. I think like loving the first season so much and he was such a sweet character who meant well and who was like a generally good person in the first season um, made him an easier pill to swallow Yeah, in the second season. Yeah. Not a reason. Uh, I thought he was time, but. great though. Like the, the actor is really really great oh yeah no no i thought he was great i guess it was just like what's the value of showing us this whole backstory of his like what's yeah i like that's the thing for me like if it's i get peter given where the show ends and given that the main takeaway we're supposed to get is danny and jamie like peter quint and Rebecca, beyond being 
the ghosts from the turn of the screw um, from which this is like very loosely based. Yeah. They don't serve any value to that meaning other than to be like, this is the foil for Danny and Jamie. Like this is the couple that has the wrong kind of like possessive love. Like I don't need to know their whole backstory. I don't need to know Peter Quint's like trauma of, of child abuse, even though like that is also a, a, wink to the turn of the screw like that the subtext of that novel one of the interpretations of it is that it's about um pedophilia i'll probably cut that part out but (laughs) like that's part of what the truth of the screw is about but um like why did we need to know that why do we need to know that if the the only purpose this is ultimately going to serve is bad couple versus good couple right and if that was to make him more sympathetic, then why did we even want to make him more sympathetic? Right. Like, I don't see what's gained by, by us learning all these things about him. You know, like the, the point is yeah. to show this is the, it's, it's just showing what Jamie says, like, that's the wrong kind of love. Yeah. And what Danny and Jamie build is the right kind of love. You know, like I didn't need to spend like two full episodes <laughs> on Peter Quint and Rebecca Jessel to get that point, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. And even the stuff with the uncle, like the doppelganger stuff, I'm like... Yeah, that's another Henry James thing, right? The Jolly Corner, I think, was right. kind of... I think it's that kind of thing's based on it. Right. Um, and that was interesting, and it was definitely creepy, The his big big smile. Was oh, the scary. smile! Yeah. It was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. At first, I thought that was his brother because those guys really did look alike, the, the actors. And I was like, yeah. oh, this is really neat. Um, but then I was like, oh, that's him. It, d- it definitely took me a minute to be like, who is this doppelganger to him? Um, yeah. But I thought that was, um, I thought it was interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm obviously, the, I was mostly there for Danny, Danny and Jamie in yeah. a way where with Hill House, I was there for everyone. Um, yeah. Because it's part of a different. Yeah. And yeah, and I guess like, because it's the thing, right? You know, like, it's not like, I'm not just saying this because it's like, I just want a more gay shit. (laughs) It's like, no, like, you're telling me at the end of the series, like, the point was the gay shit. (laughs) Like, that's the main thing I'm supposed to have been caring about. And obviously I have, but it's like, you could have sacrificed, you could have cut some other shit to make to make that point even better, you know. But you should you should email um, Mike. Yeah, let me <laughs> let me get Mike on the horn. Yeah. Let me get Mike. Let me have get you, on the horn and be like, "Hey, man." <laughs> I think you should just tell Mike this. Mike, we got someone here. He wants to talk to you. This woman. I got I some suggestions. <laughs> If you're open to notes, I have them. (laughs) Oh, fuck. That last sequence, I mean, we talked about the Sheryl Crow of it all, but... (laughs) And Deb is not a fan. (laughs) I like Sheryl Crow. I just (laughs) It was a bit on the nose. I mean, that song choice is pretty on the nose. But goddamn. Yeah, it's on the nose. But I I liked it. I liked that it was... It was unexpected to me. It wasn't necessarily a song I would have... I haven't thought about it that. It felt song. random. It just felt random. 
<laughs> I don't know. That's it's, fair. That's definitely like a song that like that that was definitely a choice of like a Gen Xer who is like making the show is like, mm, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Let's put some Cheryl Crow, I shall believe. Is that song from 2007 or something, maybe? That song is from 1992. Oh my gosh, I was one years old. Same. Damn. Have you guys heard the song To Build a Home? Because I think that would have been better. (laughs) (laughs) To Build a Home. Okay, so I have an email open to Mike here. To Build a Home ends the show. That's a better ending. And cut out the Peter Quint stuff and put more gay shit in it. Love. Not all of it. We don't need all. We don't need to cut all the Peter okay. Quint stuff. Cut out some the Peter Quint shit and put more gay shit in it. Thank you. Also, cut time. out. Tell him like I know she's your wife, but cut out part of it. Cut out Kate Siegel. She's beautiful, <laughs> but you see her every day, <laughs> and we love her. She is beautiful. We love her. We love her. Don't miss construe this we love her <laughs> just cut a little out thank you love Cordell Kate. i'm about to send um anything else you, anything uh, else uh um about to send um <laughs> ask, wait wait say okay please please include queer more queer stuff in your next season because i don't want you to think that your quota is filled because there was both stories in the first and second season and oh i'm also going to add maybe some queer men Ah, yes. Because yeah. none of, we haven't had any queer men in this. Mm-hmm. And include both queer men and women. And make them, a, make them friends. Oh, yes. I don't know. It could be fun. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Love, Cordell Kate. <laughs> About to send. Oh, send it. Oh. Oh. Yay! <laughs> it's on the way. Mike Flanagan at AOL.net. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he responds. I'll let you guys know. Please Great. do. <laughs> uh, this oh is, my gosh well this has, this been, has been really you know much as Amelia Eve talks about how Jamie purged herself of her trauma yeah throughout Bly Manor um, wait also one more note on that talking about accents I thought it was oh very clever God. that Carla Gugino decided to have a pretty bad British accent in this <laughs> To bury the lead that she was the older Jamie. <laughs> I think she. I think she was trying. I, Unfortunately, I, I, know, I, I know. But I feel like it was like trying. To, like I feel like Carl Gugino was like, "You need me for a couple days." I love her. <laughs> Give me a dialect coach if you want. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll watch a few Downton Abbey's and we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many beautiful lines, like there's so many words that Jamie says, like when she says jungle. Ah, uh, yes. In You're, the based jungle. In the jungle. You're based in the jungle. Yeah. And, oh, oh uh, you're loving having this wee break. Uh, yeah, you, you're loving having this wee break. <laughs> all these little things she says, all the lines, I'm like, oh my God, I love her accent so much. Yeah. I read a thing that was like, and then it was revealed that, that Carla was an older Jamie. I knew that that accent sounded familiar. And I was like, <laughs> where? Because that accent <laughs> did not sound the same. <laughs> like, that she tried. She said, like, love. Like, my love and I, mm-hmm. my love and I. Till my love return. <laughs> I feel like there were two things words, that she said. She was like, I'm not going to mm. do a great accent and I'm not going to sing a Willow Whaley. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, Willa Wiley, my lord. Can my lord return to me? They're like, okay, you can say it and just just try with the accent. Just try. Thank you, Kyla. Who am I? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, like, the biggest thing is, like, she keeps saying valet. She says the valet. I'm like, no British person says valet. It's valid. Valid. Yeah. Did you know who I was, by the way? I was no. the lady of the lake singing when she was holding <laughs> And but she thought she was singing beautifully, and then it panned to her as the ghost, and she's going. That's so funny. I love it. Oh my god. Oh, sorry. Amazing. Well, this was wonderful. This feels healing. I mean, again, much like Jamie purged herself of her trauma in the Moonflower so Mall, too. Have and- we? in the entire telling you know honestly like on a personal note interrupting somebody else's rehearsal dinner to tell a nine-hour lesbian ghost story <laughs> to preface something by being like i have a story and it's not exactly short <laughs> That's so that is introductory line to any story ever I mean, How, that's my life. Anybody... Like, that is such a fucking quintessential Kate Royal move. God, and they just gather around, like, this is going to be okay. good. I would have been we like, no. Right, like, well, we've got time and we've got wine, yeah. says Owen. <laughs> she goes, you're going to love this. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to love this story. Hey, I mean, that's another thing. I wish we put What's this in our thing? email to Mike Flanagan <laughs> of being like, if you're going with the conceit that Jamie's <laughs> telling this story, would Jamie spend that much time talking about Peter Quinn? Oof. She hated the really point. She hated Peter Quinn. She'd be like, no, let me tell you more about how much this au pair was in love with me. Yeah. <laughs> how sexy she was. It's like that whole part where she's like, the au pair couldn't remember a night she slept better. And I'm like, okay. How do brag. you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> She was so exhausted after the lovemaking that she slept like an angel. And she's loving having this wee break. (laughs) (laughs) You love that line. Love that line. Oh my God. All right. Well, we've we've healed. I think we ourselves have purged ourselves of of the haunting of Blind Manor. Mm. I'm gonna go watch like a hundred fan vids and cry though. Yeah. Yo, Deb, Deb send me right. the fan vid you watched. Send me the to build a home one. I it's haven't seen any with that story. song. It's a 12 minute long like video of just their story, but with that song in the background the whole time. Whoa. So it'll, like, it'll fuck you up. <laughs> God, do you know how many fan vids I've seen with that goddamn song? And every time I'm like, <laughs> I'm like that, that one gift from America's Next Top Model of the one in the air. all right guys i love right. you peace and love thank you this was so fun i love to talk t- to both this was of you so fun and not more straight people <laughs> yes this was great yeah. this is what I'll we needed uh cory do you want anyone to follow you anywhere no. Great. <laughs> I'll plug mine. Yeah, yeah you can plug your shit, Deb. 
look me up, but I don't know. I'm I'm just you have a private Twitter, you know, like you're living your life. Yeah, you do you. I just want to I want to give you the option. I appreciate it. Um, Corey's Twitter's great. Uh, I'm at Deborah Duncan on Twitter and at Deborah D Bag on Instagram. And you can follow me, um, Queer Movie Night on Twitter and Instagram as well. Hell yeah. Woo. I'm at uh, the Royalist Kate on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, listen to Broadcast Revisited. Hell yeah. Ray, can I say one more thing? Yeah. I do. If you want to follow something, you can follow a short film I made called Wake Me Up. We have a uh, Instagram and Facebook, and we just got into a local little Chicago screening, and we got into the Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival, which is Whoa. cool. Congrats. So, thank you. It is yeah, it's beautiful. Been, it's beautiful. Oh, I, I want to watch. It's, it's one of those stories where it's like, it's, it's a queer couple, and you don't, no one ever mentions it. I was kind of thinking, oh, wait, that's kind of what I did with my story. It's just queer people in a relationship. But yeah, so feel free to follow Wake Me Up, but and me if you want. We'll see if I let you in because I'm private. <laughs> Make the cut. Uh huh. Good for you. All right. Thank you both so much. This was a treat. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs>